Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? I'm feeling like an all-star this week, Amy. Did you watch any of the all-star game? No, I didn't. I'm sorry. All right. So I didn't watch the game, but I did watch the Home Run Derby, and it was quite entertaining. I saw the conversation on Twitter about that, but did not watch any of it. Compared to the rest of it, the ending was kind of lame, but... Vladdy Guerrero Jr. put on a show and hit like 90-something home runs in the home wow. run game. And it was it was insane. So it was fun. That was a fun fun thing this week. Very cool. And you're feeling like an all-star just because you watched it? Is that yes. why? Okay. Yes. I, I'm, well, I'm wondering, like, what would it look like if we put together an SBC all-star team? Are you speaking just in terms of SBC all-stars just generally, or are you talking about baseball are you talking what what are your thoughts here all stars in general well we should do an episode on that that'd be like our our end of the year episode we do that every year we do we have have all stars every year don't we? and that's that's really tough because here's the here's the thing if you try to put together an sbc all-star team you always run the risk of leaving someone out so i yes i'm only going to say that i would put someone like zach mcculler on there people like that because those are the ones you can't argue with no one he'd probably bat lead off Right, right. You know, got to get a little guy, you know, quick, get on base yeah. kind of thing. But this is a good, this is, that's a good, a good question to throw out there. I think I'm just going to say Zach McCullough and that's it. I think everyone would be good with that. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, I'm not going to say whether or not, since you started this with that you're feeling like an all-star, I'm not going to say whether or not I would put you on. Oh, I, that hurts. Amy. Yeah. I just named my one person and I'm moving on. Okay. Well, that sounds good. All right. Well, speaking of moving on, let's move on to our sponsor this week. If you're not casual about your faith, your Christian college shouldn't be either. As the undergraduate school of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Boys College exists to prepare men and women for gospel service in areas like biblical studies, business, teaching, ministry, and more. You can study on campus in Louisville or online. Learn more at boyscollege.com. So thanks again to Southern for sponsoring this week's episode. Amy, on to the news. Kind of a small news week this week. We got an interview with David Melber and Vance Pittman later in the show related to Send Relief and everything that they're doing. And Send Relief, unfortunately, Amy, I guess you could say in action again this week uh, with everything that's going on in California and now down in Louisiana. California last week facing disaster relief responses after a couple of earthquakes Kind of big earthquakes, one at 7.1 on the Richter scale. And then New Orleans is facing a lot of rain after a tropical storm slash hurricane developed in the Gulf this week and came up into land. This looks kind of scary for sure. And I know it's really testing out the levee system, all the things that have been in place for the last 13 years or so. I know everyone's mind is turned that way, and I know disaster relief is really getting started. But I'm excited that we get to share this interview to hear all of the things that they have going on. Yeah, that'll be just in a few minutes after we finish the news, Amy. And we have some news out of the Dakotas. That doesn't happen often, but we have some news from the Dakotas. Garvin Golden is retiring as the Dakota Executive Director, he announced in a video last week to the convention. Yes, he will be retiring effective December 31st and uh, has served in denominational life for about 20 years now. So has really has really given his all. He will remain in Rapid City, South Dakota, where they are located, to serve as pastor of Christ Church, where he has been for the last eight years 
and was part of its founding. And so is not leaving ministry, but it's time for him to retire because he believes the Lord is leading him to pastor this church. So we wish him all the best. And particularly in these last six months, as he prepares to finish well and wrap up some of the things that they have been working on there and then go to his next assignment. Yes, and uh, they listed the administrative committee who will be conducting the search for his successor, but there's no details in there about if you're interested or if you know somebody who would be a good fit to, to recommend them. So that information probably would be coming from the Dakota Baptist Convention later in the month as they prepare to search for their next executive director. Uh, We don't have a story about it, but we do have some news about it over in West Virginia. Bill Hennard is leaving his post as the executive director in West Virginia at the end of July to take the pastorate at First Baptist Athens, Tennessee, over there in East Tennessee, kind of between Knoxville and Chattanooga. Right. Uh, Athens is out there in kind of the foothills of the Appalachians. So we wish him the best as he transitions from West Virginia to Tennessee. He went in view of a call just a couple of weeks ago to First Baptist Athens and was voted in and uh, will be leaving the West Virginia State Baptist Convention at the end of July. That means we have four openings right now, Amy. We tweeted this out earlier this week. We have Kentucky, Mississippi, West Virginia, and now the Dakotas. Yes. Those four state exec jobs are open as of right now. We have heard that there should be something soon from Kentucky. That's all I know. Yeah, I would I would anticipate that because uh, Paul Chitwood has been at the IMB for several months now, and so I'm sure their search is coming to a close. On to some sad news, Amy. Down in Florida, First Baptist Church Milligan caught fire this past week after a lightning strike hit it and like caught a section of the church on fire. There's a crazy picture in Baptist Press, yeah. uh, looks like maybe the fellowship hall area, education space, maybe uh, right next to the the main sanctuary. There, just a blaze, and and this has really caused some some issues for the church. Yeah, and the story from Baptist Press talks about how they no one was hurt, no one was no loss of life in the fire. That everyone had left the church building. So the pastor was the last one to leave. And then about an hour later, got a phone call from the county sheriff's office. So that's very good that everyone was safe. It looks like the building is just a total loss. So now they are really working on what to do next. Every time these stories are really tough. I mean, we do know that, that the church is, it's the people of God. It's not just the building, but yet our places matter. And First Baptist Baker. Florida, I think, has uh, offered to let them host their Sunday services at their church. And uh, they, they had their midweek service at one of the homes of one of the church members. So they're still meeting. They're just uh, trying to you know, call in an audible, so to speak, on where they're meeting uh, as they uh, recover from the fire. Right. Now, some more sad news. Amy, over in North Carolina, a North Carolina pastor, Stephen Morris, has been charged with five counts of statutory rape and five counts of taking indecent liberties with a child. He is still behind bars in the Johnson County Jail under a $2.5 million bond. Yeah, obviously, this is really tough to hear, as always. You know, I think this is one of those moments, Jonathan, where as we hopefully are beginning to see a shift in more reporting, a safer space for people to come forward, what is going to happen is we're going to hear more stories and uh that's that's what's happened here so the victim in this the victim in this case is 19 years old was 13 at the time of the abuse 
and uh, so just reported the crimes last month. So came forward, and then Stephen Morris was arrested. Obviously, this high $2.5 million bond really demonstrates um, that it, it's obviously being taken very seriously in the legal realm. This is this is obviously a story that we're going to watch, but again, just another tough situation. Absolutely, Amy. We have some faculty news as well from a couple of our seminaries. Chris Osborne, longtime pastor at Central Baptist Church, been there about 33 years, Amy, has announced that he will be going to Southwestern to join the faculty as a professor of preaching and pastoral ministry. Yeah, so this was, I saw this hit social media this week. A lot of folks commenting on this. I know Chris Osborne has been a mentor to a ton of people, made a real impact in the College Station area and beyond. So I know this is, this is a big deal. A lot of folks are excited about this. Yeah, he served as a member of the executive committee at one point and also as the president of the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. So got a lot of denominational service, well-known across the denomination, not just in Texas, uh, but uh, we wish him all the best as he moves to Southwestern. And also we have some news from Gateway. Yes, news from Gateway, Amy. They are adding David Rathel to their faculty as the Associate Professor of Christian Theology. Yeah, this was kind of neat. They announced this on Twitter, had a video from him, uh, and, uh, just excited to, to welcome him. So it's that, it's just that season for faculty additions. It is. It is. So we'll probably see some more between now and the start of the semester. That's going to do it for the news, Amy. Again, a light news week, but we have a great interview here from the Southern Baptist Convention uh, on the CP stage that we had with David Melber, who's the president of Send Relief, and Vance Pittman, who is the pastor at Hope Church in Las Vegas, about everything that Send Relief does. We, we hear a lot about Send Relief and disaster relief situations, but they do a lot more. And we learn about that in this interview. Today, I am joined by David Melber, who is the president of Sin Relief and the senior vice president of the North American Mission Board, and Vance Pittman, who is the pastor of Hope Church Las Vegas. So I got these two gentlemen here to talk today about Sin Relief. And David, we're going to start with you. What are some of the greatest challenges facing Sin Relief in 2019? Thanks, Jonathan. It's great to be here, and it's great to talk about this and the opportunities and challenges that we face this year. Our greatest challenges are really this. We need laborers in the harvest field, and we need people to recognize there are needs right in the shadow of their own steeple. There are needs across their state and across North America that we have opportunities as believers to take the gospel to those that are hurting. Sin relief is about meeting needs and changing lives. What we need are more laborers in the harvest field. From a church standpoint, Vance, uh, what would be some of those those challenges and opportunities as well? Like he's kind of given the the five thousand foot or thirty thousand foot view. Give us the kind of boots on the ground view there. Yeah, when you think about sin relief, um, what I what I'm most encouraged about is that sin relief is more than just the old Southern Baptist disaster relief, which is a part of what sin relief is and focusing on disaster relief, but there. Other issues now that sin relief is all about, like uh, foster care and adoption, like uh, poverty and homelessness, like immigration. Um, which one did I miss? Human trafficking. Uh, so all of those are now included in sin relief. And in every city, in every church context where we are engaging cities with the gospel, 
these things are prevalent and they're real issues that are on the table in our cities and our communities. And so as a local church, to be able to do two things, number one, to learn best practices, to have an organization like the North American Mission Board of Sin Relief that is learning and discovering best practices across the country where churches are engaging in these areas and to be able to glean the wisdom of best practices. And then secondly, the shared resources, because there's some cities like the one I live in, in Las Vegas, Nevada, where obviously something like human trafficking is maybe more prevalent than it would be in my hometown of Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where I grew up. And so we can leverage the resources as we cooperate together in the Southern Baptist Convention through the North American Mission Board's Sin Relief to leverage those resources and share them and bring them to tip of the spear areas where churches are engaging. Let's jump into that a little bit more with you, David. Sin Relief, well known for crisis response. You know, we see a lot online whenever there's hurricanes, tornadoes, the flooding right now going on in Arkansas, Iowa. I know there's a lot going on up in, in the Midwest. But it's much more than that. And, and you, you mentioned the other four pillars. Uh, it's kind of like five focus areas that you guys have. So maybe talk about each one of those and how churches and Sin Relief are partnering together to, to meet the everyday needs in North America. Correct. We have five areas within Sin Relief, poverty being the first one. And very simple ways that we encourage people to be involved in poverty is recognizing literacy is a key component that leads people into poverty. So we have programs that you can access through texting to Send Relief to 888-111. You can get a program to implement in your local church to address literacy at the third grade level that anybody can implement. So it's very tangible ways. As Vance was saying, we want to take the best practices that we get to see from all over North America, help make them in a packaged, simple guide that a local church like Hope or any other can implement in their context. And we do that not only in poverty, but refugee and international work as well, where some very simple ways, here's how you can walk alongside of those born in another country right in your own community. Of course, foster care and adoption is very near and dear to our heart at a personal level. We make very simple ways for a church to engage because I, th I think the where our people get lost at times, we hear poverty and think, oh, goodness, it's such a big problem, I can't make a difference. What we want to encourage our churches to do is take a program, implement it, and meet someone. Know their name, because once you know someone's name, whether it's a person that's dealing with poverty, whether it's a refugee, whether it's someone in human trafficking, once you begin to know someone's name and know who they are and empathize with their pain, you become a missionary that's going to be involved with that on an ongoing basis. You know, we hear a lot about disaster relief, crisis response, as you go. And we also have the state levels of the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, you know, we, the, the yellow hats. What's the connection between sin relief and disaster relief among the states? Because I think there's some confusion about that a lot of times. So kind of tell us how, how you're different, how you're the same, and, and, and how you guys work together. Correct. Well, Southern Baptist Disaster Relief has been around for over 50 years. They have an incredible reputation of being early on a disaster site and staying long before the kind of the news cameras are gone. And disaster relief volunteers are recruited, trained, and credentialed at the state convention level, many times at the association level. So they're the ones that deploy the volunteers. 
we as a national entity are the cheerleader for that. We help give them a platform at a national level with FEMA, with Department of Homeland Security, and other federal agencies, and we come alongside and support their needs in a disaster. But as far as the mobilization of volunteers and the mobilization of people to those sites, that's done at the state and association level. Now, you mentioned the partnership with federal and state governments. Vance, talk a little bit about how you guys at Hope are partnering with the state of Nevada uh, to help in the human trafficking and, and those areas. And then, David, I'd like you to talk about you know the federal partnerships and and not just how the the partnerships are there because a lot of people I don't under, don't think they realize that the gospel ministry still happens through that. So, 100%. talk about that. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that's important for us to realize is when the kingdom of God expands in a city which is really the ultimate end game. It's not to grow our churches. It's to see the kingdom of God expand in a city. When that happens, it means more than just more people go to church. It means that city, that that community becomes a better place to live. And I read a book a number of years ago by Eric Swanson called The Externally Focused Church. And in that book, he talked about in every city, there's the desire and of God for that city. There's the giftings and callings of the church in that city. And then there's the dreams and aspirations of the city itself. And in the middle of that is kind of a sweet spot where the church, we can, with our callings and giftings, step in. And so what we did is we looked at the city of Las Vegas and discovered that two of the major needs in our city were the issue of human trafficking, where the Justice Department of the United States says that one in 17 uh, young people, if they're trafficked, the likelihood is that we're, we're one in 17 cities in the world that they're going to wind up in. And then secondly, the issue of foster care. We were the only state in America that had more children in the foster care system awaiting adoption than there were churches in the state. So in 49 other states, if every church would raise up one family, you could eliminate adoption needs in the foster care system. But in the state of Nevada, that wasn't the case. We had more children than churches. And so we, we began to take small steps engaging with both the, the foster care community and this, this human trafficking situation. And through doing just small things well and serving the city where there were needs, we saw doors open to where now we've been handed the keys to foster care in the state of Nevada by the Department of Family Services. We were the first off-site training. We've now trained over 200 families in foster care and adoption. Uh, we've launched an initiative in the city with 13 partners in the city and about 22 churches called Every Church, Every Child, mobilizing the faith community. All of this done in partnership with the Department of Family Services in the state of Nevada. And we've also signed an agreement with the Family Court court system in Nevada, every juvenile that's caught in the trafficking system is now assigned to our two-year in-residence program where girls are brought in, taught the gospel, taught job life skill training, put in a foster home, and, and begun to realize that they have significance and value and that God made them for a purpose. But all of that done, not just as a program of the church, but in partnership with state and local organizations and governments. And I think that's critical because often the church is seen by many state and local governments as a parasite in the community, only wanting to get free this, free that, tax-exempt this, instead of a real partner in the community. But when you become a partner in the community in the city where you live, the obstacles to the gospel melt away when, and when they see you as a partner to solving real issues in the city. Now, before we get to the federal side, follow up on that. How has that changed your church? Because you can't do that 
and the church stay the same. Yeah, no, it's changed our church tremendously. Um, we have we now have families that uh, have have children that they've adopted. We have families that are serving. They built relationships with other foster families. Uh, we have people in our church that now own ministries in the city. Uh, like um, uh, support groups for foster care or that provide traffic services to move these girls to and from services that they need to get to that are just moving them around the city and, and transportation. All these opportunities to serve that aren't passing out worship folders and passing offering plates and teaching Sunday school classes, but are really engaging the city, living as missionaries. Our people have understood that God created them, gifted them, called them, gave them job skills and passions to be leveraged in, in, in engaging the city with the gospel by serving the city. So it's changed our church. It's changed the makeup of our church. Uh, we have all kinds of people now that attend our church from every different strata of life, but it's because people have not been attracted to our services on the weekend. They've been attracted to what's happened in the city, and they want to find out who are these people and why do they care so much. For example, homelessness uh, in Las Vegas is an epidemic because of our weather, climate, and culture. Well, they passed an ordinance a few years ago that you could no longer feed homeless people in public parks in Las Vegas because of the endangerment to families that are gathering in public parks. So our people that do that went to the mayor's office. When they got to the mayor's office and said, hey, we're here from Hope Church, they said, oh, you're with Hope Church? You can feed homeless people anywhere in the city. They removed the ordinance for us because they said these people genuinely care. So it affects your church internally. It affects your church externally. Um, and you get to see the gospel penetrate the city and not just see a church do better on a weekend. All right. Now, federal government partnerships. Yeah. I think this is one of the things that, you know, if we could dispel one myth among everyone that would maybe watch this, the government has not eliminated the church from being engaged in this space. I think more times than not, we eliminate ourselves because they say they're not going to let us pray. Well, that is just not the case. And just as there's three of us sitting on this panel, when we go into a community, the best way to address some of these systemic uh, issues in poverty or trafficking or whatever it may be is to realize the church should be at the table. And the church should be the lead partner in that to bring alongside not only state or local government, but bring alongside businesses and other nonprofits and have the church there to use the influence and strategically place members to be missionaries on these efforts. And at the federal level, um, we have great friends really in every department of the federal government. And they see us as Southern Baptists as, man, those are those people that really, they volunteer and make a difference, and we could not do things without them. I mean, they literally say that they cannot do things without you as a Southern Baptist engaging in your community. So what we need to do is basically not shy away from the government, but realize the administration for children and families at the federal level, a part of HHS, they want to see all 125,000 kids that are available to be placed for adoption out of the foster care. They want to see them placed. That's a huge initiative and something they're getting ready to roll out within the next 30 days. They want us as the church to be a part of that. So we have an open standing invitation, just like we do in times of a disaster. Our disaster relief volunteers show up at a disaster, and we serve with FEMA or the American Red Cross or other entities, and our chaplains and our members witness, and they share their faith. And it's something that 
we have to intentionally engage. And it changes our members because we realize we can't expect people to show up at church. We need to go out in the communities to build the relationships, to share those common initiatives that, hey, we're going to address trafficking. It's an issue. It's an issue for the Las Vegas local government. It's an issue on the city. We're going to address this. And as the church, we just say we want to come alongside. We want to be a part of the solution. And in every case, we're seeing government and other entities open their arms to the church. So don't shy away from engaging. And not only is it an issue, it's an issue that they are underfunded and understaffed to deal with. In every city where your church is serving, there are problems on your city manager's desk. There's problems with the local and state government and education and all these issues. And they don't have the resources. They don't have the manpower to meet those needs. When you show up as the church and say, we want to be a part of the solution because those are kingdom issues that have gospel implications in the city, they welcome you to the table. And when you talk about business and education and the arts and all the different domains of a society, there's really only one place where all of those domains coalesce, and that's the church. If you want to get business engaged, you got to go to the business community. If you want to get government engaged, you got to go to the government community. But sitting in our church are business leaders and government leaders and education leaders and leaders in the arts, and we already have all of those domains together. It's about mobilizing them and unleashing them for the sake of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom in the city that gives you that open door invitation that he's talking about. And we live in a city in Las Vegas, Nevada, that's 92% non-evangelical. We have a city that it would be very much opposed to the gospel, and yet they have welcomed us to the table in every domain to engage and given us the freedom. They've put no restrictions on what we say and on what we teach because they know we genuinely care about the well-being of our city. I mean, if you can just imagine, if you're a government worker and you're overwhelmed with problems and you have people come in and say, hey, I've got a program I want you to implement. Well, that's what they've heard for many years rather than an attitude of coming in saying, we're here, we represent, I mean, when I talk at our national level, I say I represent 47,500 Southern Baptist churches with millions of members that want to be involved at addressing these issues. And people listen, no different than at the local level. Vance would say, I'm a pastor and I represent thousands of members here at this church or hundreds of members. It doesn't matter what it is. When we say we're here ready to help, it changes everything. And the attitude changes from one of a hands away to please come in and help us out. Well, on that note, what is like one practical tip that you would give to a pastor? What would be the one thing that you would tell them? The missionaries and members sitting in your churches go to work in these communities every single day. They are your missionaries at the school, at the government, and in business. Help them think intentionally about how do I leverage our members to address systemic issues that our, pro our society is facing. Yeah, I would say know who you are and know the needs of your city. Understand how God's wired you as a church. For example, in our church, we do a survey of domains so that we know the top two domains in our church are uh, educators and business leaders. So we now look for ways in our city 
where there are needs in our city where we can mobilize to meet the needs based on who God's made us to be. In every city where there's a pastor watching this, the city where your church is located, there's somebody in that city office, a city manager, a mayor, and they got a list of problems on their desk they don't know how to solve. You find out what that list is. You go in and tell them you want to help them. You find out how your church is wired and gifted and how you can mobilize to meet that. And you'll remove every obstacle in your city to becoming a partner and having an open door to share the gospel. And there will be gospel fruit come out of that. Finally, how can Southern Baptists pray for sin relief as well as Hope Church? You can pray specifically in this way, that God would raise up members out of every church to intentionally see the needs in their community, that you would build relationships with people there and step out to meet those needs. If there's a way that you want to get involved, you can always text Send Relief to 888-111, and we can provide simple starts. We can connect you with one of our ministry centers across North America where you can see some of these things modeled so you can implement this at your church. For us, I would just say pray for fruit that remains. We just saw our first two girls that have been assigned to our uh, two-year residential program. First two girls came to Christ, came to know Jesus. So just to see that continue, fruit that remains. All right, thank you guys for helping us out today. Uh, it's been a great discussion about sin relief. Again, that's sin relief. Text that to 888-111. And you can get more information about sin relief if you're interested in doing that. Uh, check out these guys online, sinrelief.org at hopechurch, hopechurchonline.com. All right. Thanks for that, Jonathan. You did a great job in that interview. It is a good week to share that as a lot of our minds are on the work of Send Relief. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. So I wanted to go back to 1963 to kind of a, a little bit of a human interest story, but it caught my attention because it's a state exec that we've talked about before. So this is... Uh, in New Mexico, there was a trip to Yellowstone that got completed after 38 years. So this was. But New Mexico's. Yellowstone's not in New Mexico. I know, I know, but you got to hear the story. So. Okay. Harry Stagg, executive secretary of New Mexico at the time, had started a trip in 1925. He was on the way to Yellowstone National Park and he was going through New Mexico. He was sick and disabled as a result of his service in World War I. Okay? So he's headed through, and a Baptist leader, doesn't say who, Baptist leader persuaded him, asked him to stop over a few days and preach for a small new church in Gallup, New Mexico. So he's on his way to Yellowstone. He gets asked, please just stop over and preach for this small church that's gotten started. And he does. And he stayed 13 years. So he stayed 13 That's years. That's a long stay over. But yes, becomes a pastor, builds a good church, and then from there gets called to the Baptist Convention of New Mexico, serving as the executive secretary. At this point in 63, had been there more than 25 years. And so that summer, he completed the trip to Yellowstone. He and his wife had a few days of vacation time in Wyoming, and they went to the park. He finally made it to Yellowstone 38 years after he had stopped off in New Mexico for a few days to preach. So it was kind of this human interest story in Baptist Press about how he'd been planning this trip, and then in the end, 
you know, God calls him to service. He never makes it. Finally, 38 years later, he sees Old Faithful. He gets to Yellowstone. But it caught my attention because we've done a story about Harry Stagg before. Do you remember? Was he the one that had the plane? Yes, that's it. Oh, okay. He's the one that the State Convention of New Mexico purchased a plane because it really, I mean, when, when you would think about it, these churches would be really far from each other. It wasn't an easy thing, particularly in that time, to get from place to place by car. And he had a pilot's license and was able to fly. So he would fly all across the state. And uh, there's, I've seen things in the uh, historical library and archives about this, about the plane purchase. Really kind of a cool thing. So I need to learn more about Harry Stagg because he just sounds like a delightful and fascinating person. I wonder if in New Mexico, if they've done much on the history there, or if anyone's written on him. I would love to know more. So anyway, he completed his trip to Yellowstone, and they were all talking about it this week in SBC history. He would be an all-star, Amy. Absolutely. All right. So that's my other SBC all-star is Harry Stagg from New Mexico. And I'm glad he finally made it to Yellowstone, but it sounds like it was a good thing that his trip got stopped because what a contribution he made. Yes. He was old faithful in New Mexico. Oh, wow. I wish I had some drums to do that, but I'm bummed, you know. Yeah, that was was pretty bad. Yep. So have you ever been to Yellowstone? I, I have as a child. I remember it. I I think I was seven or eight. Yeah. That makes one of us. One day, maybe. One day. One day. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is the He Reads Truth Bible. So we we talked a lot about the She Reads Truth Bible a couple of years ago. Now there's a He Reads Truth Bible. I've got one of these. And Amy, I have one to give away. Oh, nice. I I have two of these. So I've got one to give away. It comes with a lot of really great things. 21 maps, 126 infographics, 66 hand-lettered key verses, 17 full-color timelines, charts, lists, illustrations, reading plans for every book of the Bible, a one-year Bible reading plan, detailed book introductions, key verse lists, Smith's binding, so it lays flat, two two colored ribbon markers, not just one marker. It's got two markers, Amy, and wide margins for journaling and note-taking, so... Really cool Bible. I've got one now, and I've got one to give away. So, how are we going to do the giveaway? Leave a comment and a review at iTunes. Oh, go to iTunes, review, rate the podcast, then like tweet us a picture of your review once it's posted on iTunes, and we'll pick from those people and give away a copy of the He Reads Truth Bible. All right, Amy, your resource of the week is... Well, mine is the She Reads Truth store. They have an official shop, and because you were bringing up the He Reads Truth Bible, it reminded me about that store. So I have talked a lot about the She Reads Truth Bible. That is my main Bible that I do all of my study out of, and I just love it, love the way it's laid out. But they have a lot more to choose from there. They have memory verse cards. They have studies. They have some really beautiful five by seven, five by eight, something like that prints of the scripture art that's in the She Reads Truth Bible. Just a lot of options there. And uh, so I'm just going to gonna throw that out to go check out the She Reads Truth shop. You know what? I almost made my resource of the week this week. What? Former SBC president Steve Gaines Twitter feed this week. Oh, they were up in Canada. One of my favorite spots, Lake Louise, Banff, all that. Yes, I loved it there. 
he had some good shots this week. He really did. Very, very nice so, photographer. Very nice. Very yes. nice picks. So that can be so, kind of a bonus resource. Yeah. If you're on yeah, Twitter, Steve if you're on Twitter, go check out Steve Gaines' feed. Yes. At Bellevue Pastor. So yeah, he the, the shots he had of Lake Louise were just amazing. So I've Gorgeous. never been there either. Oh, you should. I know that's one of your it's favorite great. places. So you you've asked my the first time I went to Lake Louise was on the same trip. My dad planned an epic trip where we did a train ride across Canada and then drove through the national parks of the West on the way home. So Wow. Yeah, he had a meeting. He had a, a convention in Seattle. So his boss drove our car, our station wagon, up to Seattle so he and his wife could see all the things, and then they flew home. We took Amtrak up to Toronto and rode Canada Rail all the way across. Had a sleeper car all the way across to Vancouver, Victoria, and then took a boat down to Seattle, did the convention, and then we got our station wagon from his boss, and then we drove through the American West, and that's when I went to Yellowstone. So That's really cool. Yeah. Trip of a lifetime. I'm glad I'm glad cuz I I was either 7 or 8. I we have a lot of pictures, but I do remember it. I mean, when I went I was at Lake Louise a couple of years ago when Keith was teaching at the seminary for a week and there were things I started asking about and uh folks were like, "Yeah, that's over here." So I did remember a lot, but it was a great trip. Really cool. Cool. Very neat. All right. Well, that's the news for the SBC this week. And we get closer to the school years starting up at our seminaries and trustee meetings starting up again. I'm sure that the news will pick up and uh, we'll have more news to bring you each and every week here on SBC this week. A reminder, uh, we talked about it at the top of the show, some of these disaster relief moments, especially down in New Orleans with the flooding that's going on and all the rain that they're getting down in Louisiana, be in prayer for them as they recover from that, as well as, uh, you know, the church that we mentioned down in Florida, First Baptist Milligan, as they are out of a place to worship and are working to uh, get that resolved. So uh, a lot of uh, great things going on in the SBC, but also some things that we also need to be in prayer about. So thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>